Welcome to the Trauma Resonance Resilience Podcast and my name's Lisa Cherry and I'm going to be your host and today is exciting as it always is very exciting on the podcast because I don't know if some of you know but I've been doing quite a bit of work with the West Yorkshire Partnership. They've got this vision. The vision is to be trauma-informed by 2030 and you might ask yourself how on earth do you work with five different local authorities with a view to them all becoming trauma-informed? Well, my guest today is kind of the person who steers the ship, if I'm allowed to say that. So I'm going to welcome the absolutely fabulous M. Irvin. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> Hi, Em. It's so good to have you on the podcast. And do you know what? It's There's lots of reasons why having you on the podcast is a good idea. One is you're just an all-round good person to chat with. But the other thing, I think, is that lots of people will have a genuine interest in system change, and particularly system change around trauma-informed practice. And so I thought by having you on the podcast, we could have a little explore about how on earth you make that happen. So I guess the first question I would ask you really is how on earth did you end up in the position where you are the person in charge of this to, you know, I know that you'll say there's lots of other people involved, but Em, you really are kind of the person, the go-to person for this, for this particular vision. How did you get there? Well, so as part of our role with the integrated care system, well, now integrated care board, um, so West Yorkshire Healthcare Partnership, I have a joint position with the West Yorkshire Violence Reduction Unit um, and I'm their public health lead. And through different conversations back in 2020, looking at how we prevent serious violence, looking at how we support our children and young people, working with Carrie Ray from the Children and Young People's Families Programme, we realise that actually, if you really start to look at the root causes, trauma and adversity is front and centre. So we wanted to see what was going on in this space across West Yorkshire. And there was lots going on, amazing good practice going on across all five of our different places. But it wasn't brought together in any way. It wasn't joint. And we wanted to look at, well, can we do that? Can we bring everybody into the same space and start to look at how we could look at this in a system level? Um, so that's how it started. And we said that myself and Carrie would take the lead and we'd help from a system level, bringing people together around the table to start the conversation. That's amazing. Um, and I mean, I do quite a bit of work with you on this we're doing some consultancy I'm doing some consultancy with you and also some training and some um, document design and stuff like that and I love it but one of the things I really notice is that you have the way that you kind of manage the whole system itself is by having several streams so you have an education stream a criminal justice stream. how many streams do you have at the moment, including the network and the strategy group, we've got two for probably about 12 different streams and a couple more 
about to come on board in April. And each stream has a group. It has um, it, it drives forward for that stream, really focused on having the people who work on the ground in those streams to shift and change and create uh, cultural change. So I guess the first question that I really want to ask you about all that now we've set the scene is just talk me through the challenges. Well, apart from it being quite overwhelming at times, which is a challenge within itself, um, knowing what we do at system and what we do at place is a challenge. So what we call place are our local authorities. Um, and every one of our local authorities has its own um, trauma-informed, adverse child experiences group and, and work stream. So I guess the first challenge is how do we know what we do together across the system and what is primacy of place? Um, and we do that by applying the three ICB test questions, which are what do we do together once because it makes sense. So things like the training, looking at the knowledge and skills framework, the co-production framework that you, you did and the language stuff, all of that makes sense because then you get that consistency across the system. It might be where can we do something because it's a particularly challenging issue, but that could fall into the realms of our criminal justice work that we do, working in the prisons, probation, like working in courts. They're tricky because they're not just based in one place, they're system-based provision. Um, so they're things that we might lift up to a system level. And then the last one is where do we just share good practice? Because there is so much good practice going on across West Yorkshire. And actually what we want to be able to do is bring that into one place where our colleagues can talk about it and can say, this is going well, this isn't going well. Can we scale this up? Um, can we look at doing this in Leeds, but in a different way to Bradford, but, you know, taking the learning? Um, and I think we've managed that really well for the for the Adverse Trauma Resilience Programme. And we managed that through the networks and through the work streams. Another challenge is the interdependencies. So how do we keep abreast of what's happening in the criminal justice work stream, the education work stream, the housing work stream? How do we bring all that back together? Because there are lots of common threads that run through. So you might think digital runs through, co-production runs through. So I guess the team at system level provide that approach. They, we together bring in those interdependencies and then share them through our bulletins, through our um, network meetings, etc., so that people can start to identify where the different pieces of the jigsaw fit. The other challenge is how do you make a system as big as West Yorkshire trauma-informed by 2030, every sector, every member of the workforce? And that's where it feels quite overwhelming. And the way we do that is by breaking it down into chunks. And so we look at, well, what does that mean for West Yorkshire? Well, it means every organisation being trauma-informed. So what do we do at a system level in relation to that? What's within our gift? So we might work with the big across West Yorkshire organisations and then how do we create tools, resources, shared learning for our places to be able to do that on a place-based level. 
So I wouldn't necessarily go into Bradford to make every organisation trauma-informed, but I would support the lead in Bradford and the work stream in Bradford to have the resources and the tools that they can do that for themselves. And, and I guess so it's breaking it the, up. Yeah. And, and one of the challenges, I guess, with that whole system and place is that you can get very, very caught up in how a system changes and forget what's on the ground. And if you're on the ground, you might have no idea about what it takes to create system change. And I think that strikes me as quite a challenge. Um, I know for myself, I mean, I'm lucky because I still go into place spaces to do different pieces of work. Um, So I get a sense of what's going on the ground, even though I'm helping the helper, if you like. But then I've got my system type head on where I'm thinking across sometimes not just West Yorkshire, sometimes internationally or or across the country or, you know, and I'm, I'm bouncing around in between on the ground and sort of strategic system change. And sometimes it can take a little bit of um, uh, internal dialogue to get to where I need to be when you're bouncing around everything. I mean, is that something that you find? Yeah, and and also differing priorities. So what might be a priority for the system level at this moment in time may well not be a priority for a locality of, say, 30,000 people. But actually what their priority is, is cost of living at this moment in time or is, um, you know, access to services, etc., So it's managing the priorities that I can't see. I can't see those priorities at that level. So that's where the close working relationships between the system and the place programmes are really important. And that, um, what do we call it now, that devolved leadership, that dispersed Mm. leadership of there's 400, well, there's just short of 500 colleagues now involved in this work across West Yorkshire because they're the ones that will know that detail and be able to navigate that space and if they need help they'll know where to escalate it to ask me to say well actually Em we've got a really tricky issue here is anybody else facing this issue can we look at it through a system lens so that we can sort it I think it's the basics of trauma-informed it's relationships and if you don't have the relationships, this doesn't work. Absolutely. Um, and that kind of brings me neatly onto thinking about resistance. Because, you know, again, my experience of resistance or um, taking people on a journey is all about relationships and being patient and taking time to get to know people more deeply. Um, so that you've got that opportunity to move forward with people. I I often say, and I, I'm pretty sure that this came out of a conversation that I had with somebody in my conversations book, um, it's really about getting on the bus, you know, and I don't mind where you sit on the bus, Just I just want you on the bus because that's what we're doing. Um, have you experienced any resistance or success to 
overcoming resistance? Because I know that's a question that lots of people will be thinking about. So my my experience of this is that we have been pushing on an open door with pretty much anybody we've spoken to. Everybody says this is the right thing to do. Now, saying it's the right thing to do and then being fully on board to ensure it gets done are quite different things. So we we started this journey by spending nine months working with our senior leaders across the system to get the buy-in. Because if we didn't have their buy-in from the beginning, even if they fully didn't understand what they were buying into at the time, like you say, it's being on the bus, um, we wouldn't get anywhere. And we spent nine months doing that. But what I've found is not to be complacent in that space either, because there may be people that are not as strategic, that maybe maybe that next next rung down that you've not engaged with, and actually you've got to engage with them. Then there may be some the next row down you've got to engage with. So you can't be complacent. That buy-in, I think, is something that you've got to constantly do in whichever arena you're in. The other thing is making it tangible. That's where we've had the biggest resistance. So what does it look like? Um, have Being able to show outcomes, being able to show measures, metrics. How are we going to know this makes a difference in West Yorkshire for the lives of people that live and work here? And I'm not going to say I fully bottomed that yet, but we're getting there, we're getting there. And the way we're getting there is by looking at what can we achievably measure? We can measure the number of organisations that are going to be trauma-informed. We can measure the number of people that are going to go through our programmes. What I can't measure is how many young people won't be excluded from school as a result of this programme. But what I can do is use the evidence to tell the story that that will be a benefit. And further down the line, if we get this right in West Yorkshire, we will see indicators like that get better exclusions young people involved in the criminal justice system etc we'll see them get better and what we'll be able to say is that we've contributed to those benefits but you know that the, the thing that I think really people struggle with is that this stuff takes time absolutely and people often want results really quickly yeah. without you know understanding that we've got a journey to take and that actually let's just take for example a school I think the research shows that you're looking at three three years to start to see the difference and the first thing that happens is around attendance the second thing is around exclusions I think it's that way around but the final thing that you'll notice as an indicator are educational outcomes well you know nobody wants to wait that long for better educational outcomes and that's a real challenge isn't it it is I mean doing this work which is real public health work I mean as far as I'm concerned this is the biggest public health crisis we have at the moment that we've never fully addressed um we are a short we are a long-term program in a short-term world and the acuity in the system obviously is going to take priority we need to save people's lives you know we want people not to die um and clearly that is something that's in that's that's important we've got to respond to it but if we if we aren't able to see that actually if we don't have that parity of esteem between prevention and intervention 
and we don't look upstream as to what's coming, then we're never going to make a difference. So um, I don't have a solution. I don't have a solution for it. I'm still um, trying to figure that out for myself. What we can say is, and what I think we need to focus on, is the benefits to our workforce. Because actually that can be achieved quicker than those big population outcomes that people want. And we know that if we create a healthier, thriving workforce, then those benefits are more likely to be achieved. So I would say, let's look what's within our gift. What can we do now in the next three to six months that will take us on that journey to achieving those populations? And and it's the story that we're telling. It's the narrative behind the data that's really important. So you can can have all the outcomes and performance measures in the world, but if you can't tell the story of what difference that data is going to make, then you can't see the end result. So we've got to be able to say, using the evidence, using and making sure we evaluate what we do regularly to generate and build that evidence, to be able to say, we know that if we provide restorative supervision to every single member of our workforce in the next two years, that that will make a difference on the way they care for people that are coming to access their services. And that will then make a difference on the care that they receive and how they then achieve the positive outcomes that we're expecting. So we've got to tell the story, but we've got to look at what what can we do now with and what can we do in 10 years' time and five years' time. This is culture change. And we can measure culture change, but that's something that we're looking into as well. How do we measure? And there are lots of tools out there to do that. But this is culture change. And you've got to keep revisiting that case for change. Why are we doing this? And how are we doing this? But ultimately, we need parity of esteem between prevention and intervention. And we need our leaders to take the risk of looking at the long-term outcomes as well as the short-term needs. And that's so challenging, isn't it? I mean, we have, you know segments of thinking that runs well it should do I mean that's not been the case for 12 years but every four years you know you've got this potential for shift and nothing getting seen through to you know and that's what I love about this 10-year program is there's an opportunity cross sector um to to span across a period of time that goes beyond uh central government changes and central government ministers uh, you know changing what they're doing and I think that that's a gift really that's the gift of this particular um way of doing things um I'm interested as well I haven't really met anybody that does have such a passion about trauma and creating change who doesn't have some kind of experiences themselves either with services or with a family member or and and you talk about that creating a better workforce a healthier workforce and part of that is about people feeling comfortable showing up authentically as who they are and showing up as human beings who've also had experiences of trauma and adversity without fear of judgment, without fear of being criticised, without fear of, 
you know, their lived experience becoming over sensitized or the opposite, which is deny that it's ever existed. So I, I'm really clear about where my kind of passion comes from. And professionally, that passion has just got deeper and deeper and deeper over the decades because I've, you know, been around a little while now. And um, I was wondering uh, if, if you, you know, if you had a driver that you felt comfortable sharing um, that really makes you feel, that gets you up in the morning, really, that kind of shift around creating a system that can deal with the trauma and adversity of often what it is to be human. So I don't often share, I'm not averse to sharing my experiences. I don't often share them unless it's appropriate at the time to share them. Um, I've got experiences in my life that have probably led to some of my passion um bullying at work um coming from um a family that had financial challenges I grew up in probably what would be seen as poverty now um I grew up in an inner city area um two working class parents that struggled to make ends meet um I've had probably rather than one big sort of traumatic experience I've had lots of cumulative adversity throughout my life um and my self-esteem is something I've always struggled with so I think my passion comes from the fact that the system is broken and we we keep repeating the same mistakes and where I've tried to seek help for the things that I found difficult and it's not been there and that helps not there, where I have seen people go through really difficult times and that help has not been there. And not fully understanding the last three years, I think, for me, have been incredibly eye-opening, liberating, challenging, because I didn't understand the impact of trauma. New trauma existed, I knew it was a word. Um, but I didn't fully understand the impact of it. And now I do. And I would have changed many things in my own professional practice as a youth worker had I have known what I know now then. I think that people live in very challenging circumstances and they don't know how to ask for help. They don't know where to ask for help. And our system does not make that easy for people. And I feel that I'm privileged to have the knowledge and the access to the information to be able to navigate myself some sort of help for the issues that I have and that other people don't have that. So I guess my passion is around, I am incredibly frustrated with the world as it is at the minute. Um, I've always had a bit of a political um, nuance and, and want to change the world part about me. Um, but ultimately, anything that's going to make somebody's... I'm a fixer. Anything that's going to make somebody's life better, I want to pursue. And if it's the right thing. And I can see 
how things that have happened to me in my life could have been very different if I'd have had somebody who knew what trauma was, who knew how to help somebody recover through trauma um, on that journey with me. And I don't think I've dealt with everything that's happened to me by any stretch of the imagination, which is probably another reason why I do what I do. That's lovely. And thank you for, for sharing that on the podcast. And, you know, I ha- I know that this podcast is a space that really can pull together. Well, my hope is that this podcast is a space that can really pull together that professional practice, that lived experience and that academic knowledge and just pull it all together because that's actually the reality. Many, many, many people I'm loath to say most, but I'm close, work in services that seek to help others because they are driven to create change, because they understand on a level of lived experience in some way. So starting with the workforce and really caring about the workforce is a fantastic place to start. Um, And you talked there about that cumulative trauma and I was um, speaking at the trauma recovery conference with um, Betsy Dettieri and um, she was talking a lot about that kind of continuum and that one thing happening when there hasn't been a sequence of lots of things happening particularly in childhood you know it's not one thing it is that accumulation of things is a very different experience um, than if you have all the capacity built up as a child and then you have the one thing, there is a scope for a different type of recovery. And I think that's really important that we remember the whole continuum of trauma and that none of us arrives here without a history, whether that's a a history with trauma and adversity or a history with resilience and capacity or a history with a mishmash of both uh, in equal measure. So I think it's really important that we hold all of that uh, in this journey. And there's so much more that I could talk with you about. And I think it would be really good if we can revisit this again and see how we're getting on and see what's been been going on um i know the next stage is for us to focus on uh the the culture change of the language that we use and there's some fantastic pieces of work around the country that looks at the impact of language for me language is so tied up with stigma um, that it, it is the absolute place that we need to go to to focus on how we change because what you described were services that are created and focused on the needs of the people who work in the system what we're looking at doing is creating services that centralizes the people who use those services It's a culture change because it is an entirely different way of creating, delivering and working in services. And I am so excited to be on this journey with you. As we are to have you on the journey with us. Oh, 
So listen, M, you're amazing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to catching up with you again really soon. I'll be here.